0: Hello and welcome to Book Lover's Companion. My name is Edith and right next to me is my lovely co-host, the Chattering Teacup. Hello. And here with us from across the pond, New Jersey, Laurie A. Egan. Hello, Laurie. Welcome. Hi there. How are you? <laughs> Fine. Thank you. Welcome to our show. It's a pleasure to have you on. And we are here to talk about your suspenseful psychological thriller Doublecrossed. <laughs> yes. And I had fun it, with it. <laughs> ah, it was an intriguing read, I have to tell you, that a real page turner. It came out this year, 2022. Yes, in the spring. hmm April, I think. Yes. Sometime. Mm-hmm. Okay. And You have already quite a few books under your belt, 10 books and a collection of short stories.
1: Yes. uh, Double Cross is my ninth novel, and uh, I have a collection, Fog and Other Stories, and four volumes of poetry. So I I just published my 10th novel, uh, Once Upon an Island, which is set on St. Croix, um, which was sort of fun for me because I vowed to write this book when I was 16 years old (laughs) in 1966. (laughs) <laughs>
0: and i finally did it. <laughs> okay, the question would be that what took you so long?
1: Other uh, things, i guess. <laughs> like life.
0: That's <laughs> yeah, to get in the way. Uh, the 11th book probably in the making. Yes. Yeah, uh, mm. of course it is. Yes, of course. <laughs> it is. Okay, but we are here to talk about Double Crossed. I mean, it's not a romance. It's i would say a like i said before, a thriller. Mm a psychological thriller and what i find most intriguing were the topics you touched upon in this thriller how hard was it to get them right i mean it's not i suppose it's it hasn't been easy to write and get it right maybe for your readers
1: uh no it's it was it was a complicated book and i actually changed quite a bit of the plot particularly at the end i had a darker ending and i sort of made it a little more Mm, I won't say upbeat, but I'll say at least somewhat. So, but you know the basic concept I had from the beginning, and I, I, you know, the title is important because oh. there's a lot of doubling going on mm, yep. throughout, and a lot of double crossing too, for that
2: matter. Yep, absolutely. And there's there are a lot of parts of a story in there, and. Why did you put everything in one book? I mean it could, you could have covered more than one I guess with um all that's happening in there.
1: It just felt very entwined and, you know that that's another way of describing this book. There's a, there are a lot of interconnections that unfold as the plot goes along and it delves back into the main character's history and brings it up it, involving it with uh, sort of what's happening currently. Um, so there's a lot the backstory is very important to this particular novel, and it, it as I say, it it weaves in with the with the present. Mm. Um, this is very much a sort of um it's sort of in the Patricia Highsmith mode in many ways. Uh, you know, this sort of innocent character gets mixed in uh, in a sort of spider web kind of fashion the way Highsmith often wrote. And uh, I, at that point, when I had started this book, which was many years ago, uh, she was a real influence for me. So um, I think that uh, that people who read Highsmith will enjoy this book for sure.
0: And like like you said, I mean, it's about the past, the characters present, but the book is not set actually in our current present, is it?
1: It's a few years back. Uh Yeah, I think before. It's ever called before cell phones were really ubiquitous, uh-huh. um, which is one of the things I tend to do because cell phones make me crazy because of everybody's always connected. And it's very hard to write a mystery or a suspense novel, you know, because everybody knows where everybody, everybody is and what they're doing. So, um, yeah, this is said a few years ago. I can't remember exactly the year, but yeah, it's, oh. it's basically more or less present
0: before anybody like you said before anyone had um cell phones, how do you think would have changed that fact, the story of yours?
1: Well, I think the characters who sort of go missing would be would wouldn't go missing anymore for one thing I mean they would be tracked down i mean there are, there is a computer search that happens by the protagonist to try to find information but other than that you know if this was uh, right now probably there would be you know some kind of a tracker on the cell phone so she'd know where this person was or she could find out uh, so I think it does really you know really does change the way books are written
0: and and the plot mm. what can you tell us about the characters in your book I mean it's really hard so far, I would say it's the hardest to describe for our listeners what goes on because it happens so fast. On on the one hand, we are we are not allowed to tell them because they have to find out for themselves what happens and how everything is connected and the t- twists and turns you put in your story. I think
2: it's a lot about relationships,
0: exactly
2: oh, different kinds of relationships. Yeah, but
0: I leave it. I leave it to you. Thank what, you. <laughs> what what, what it is, and it how is. much to tell, because I, I feel I can't.
1: <laughs> well, it, it is very difficult because things that happen or even the clues to what might happen do occur at the fairly, you know, close to the beginning. And we don't want to do any spoilers, <laughs> you know your main character is alexander wyatt and she meets marnie Har- hardwick uh quote in the dark heart of february that's the first line and that, that should give a, somewhat of a clue trouble's gonna happen and for the blurb i said ever ever dream of finding the perfect lover and yeah. again a hint that Guess what? <laughs> this isn't the the perfect lover. The setting is important here. It's in a, it's in a house in a remote section with a lot of forest around it. So there's a lot of ominous stuff that's that happens right at the beginning, mm-hmm. and I think that that pretty well pulls the reader into, okay, what's going to happen, and you know, what's the story here? Because mm-hmm. uh, it's it's strange at the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. Like the teacup said, it's a lot about relationships, also about past relationships, because we learn a lot about Alex's family relations and how they shaped mm-hmm. her as a person, and how they shaped her in the way she enters into relationships and,
2: and still influences uh, her decisions mm-hmm. now. Yeah, yeah, she's a very solitary
1: young woman, and she is. Her parents divorced when she was fairly young, so she doesn't really have a, a good feeling about families and models in the relationship. Her mother died, and then uh, her father later. Uh, and as a result, uh, she's a little at sea. She does have a fair amount of money, um, which she does try to hide. She just doesn't really want to have any. You know, involvement with her finances and a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, so she's sort of, you know, careful about revealing things. So, in that sense, she's sort of double crossing her new lover in the sense of uh, not really coming forward with the fact that she could have bought this new house that they buy outright without any trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that she has a second house.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and wasn't well. that also the advice from her mother? Not to reveal her financial background yeah. at all. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. At least in the beginning. But,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, which is a sort of a, a hangover from my grandmother who told my mother, you know, always <laughs> keep your finances separate. So ah. I got that drummed into my head at an early age. So I I couldn't resist Putting
0: that in, <laughs> maybe not the bad advice. I mean, in this case, a good advice. Yeah,
2: I think it, it's also about what do you know about oh. about people you get to know,
0: and can you tr- really trust them? Hmm. That's very difficult. And that also would bring us to another question, since we mentioned cell phones or mobile phones. I mean, I've read somewhere a few years ago that when you meet someone as a uh, relationship partner, that you would Google him? I mean, uh, did you Google me, Dickup? I didn't Google you, I have to admit. You wouldn't have found me, <laughs> but uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, back then. You would
1: have found a lot of information on me that's out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but isn't that isn't, isn't also something that came later than when your novel is set? Wouldn't have been that the case? that someone might have Googled the other person to find out? Yes,
1: Yes. Um, and I think, uh, and that's another reason why I sort of moved this back a little bit. I mean, they have internet, and they do have, you know, access to the web, but it's still sort of in early stages, so it's not like, you know, a big player. So I don't think either one of them did that. and They didn't do it in the book, and I Mm. don't know, I'm trying to think of, I would have done that at that point. I'm not sure. I'm not really sure if I would have done it or not. Now I would, yeah. I would check.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that's something American? Because I think about it and I can't see that 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 ever crossed my mind.
1: Well, I don't know if it's just American. It's definitely an American thing. I know that. But I, I don't know, you know, how prevalent uh, that kind of research no. on, lo- on future lovers or, or new lovers would be elsewhere.
2: No, I think it's uh, it an age thing because uh, I think okay. uh, people younger than us, <laughs> yeah, uh, would really go online and, and look up um, other people. Mm, probably yeah, more agree. than us dinosaurs. Uh, yeah, the two of you. us.
0: <laughs> I'm a T-Rex, aren't I? Yes, yes, yes. I'm the grumpy one. I'm a T-Rex. Yes, yes, yeah, I know, I know that. Don't see anything. Yeah, that's true. And when you set out writing this novel, was it clear from the beginning that you were going towards a psychological thriller, a game of cat and mouse, as it turns out, or did it came gradually? I was writing quite a few
1: psychological suspense novels at that point, and that, again, the Patricia Highsmith. Uh, influence was there I have since done more literary work and even a comedy but at that point I knew what I wanted to write and I had the idea about this sort of the false lover concept and the setting for this book was also very important I used the floor plan of a house that I had lived in for a little while I changed the out you know the way it looked outside mm-hmm. and made it a tutor instead of um, mm-hmm. a contemporary but I did, did I? I really the floor plan is important. The house is a big setting, mm-hmm. and then later um, there there's some action that takes place on a large sailboat. And I did my homework, you know, in terms of the sailboat and how it was laid out. And I I, I spent a lot of time with marine maps to make sure I had the buoys right going out <laughs> from New Jersey out into the Atlantic. So I had a pretty good idea from the very beginning what kind of book this was going to be. And and I was, as I say, writing, you know, psychological suspense novels. Uh, And this was a book that I had put aside for a long while and then I came back to. Mm -hmm. So this is really an earlier concept Mm -hmm. book.
0: um, But then I modernized it and polished it. Mm -hmm. More or less a sort of a locked room mystery in a sort of way. Like you said, I mean, uh, Patricia Highsmith, okay, this cat and mouse game, but also you said this setting of the house, remote, no neighbors, and we have the sailboat, two kinds of locked rooms.
1: Yes. So in that sense, it has a cozy feel to it, you know, like like a cozy mystery. And yes, I I tend to like enclosed settings for whatever reason. I'm a house person, maybe, I don't know. But uh, I, I like the containment and it, it seems like it's like, you know, shaking up a bottle of soda and having <laughs> it explode, you know, because it's contained. It has that sense of pressure that builds up mm-hmm. and then bang. And as a result, I, I really enjoy doing the House settings, uh, Wave and D minor, which is set on the coast of Maine during the winter. We have blizzards and, and everything, but it's predominantly in this one house. And it has somewhat the same feeling, although it's a little more literary work than Double Crossed is.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And isn't it that when people are in, in, in these remote settings, that everything to the characters feels amplified because, because of the solitude?
1: Yes, I think so. I think everything is. The emotions are amplified. It's like a ricochet within a -hmm. small area Uh, and conversations take on a lot of importance as to, you know, subtle bits of behavior. So, you know, this book is very heavy on dialogue and has a lot of telling behavior in it, but I think everything gets compressed when you have a setting like this, you know, as compared to, let's say, your usual thriller type book, which is traveling all over the place, you know, from one country to the next and constantly on the move. And those books are big and open and you have a lot of, lot of activity and movement. My books tend to be a little more compressed.
0: And isn't it also necessary in such a closed up or closed in a closed space that you have to read? The others better than anywhere else because Alex is always, like as like uh, you said, it's it's all about finding out what's going on and so on. Your senses are heightened. I mean, is it is it not necessary in this uh, environment to get a feel for your opponent, to read them better, to find out what's going to happen a few steps ahead?
1: Yeah, I think that that's what's you know well,
0: the reader the do.
1: reader is is wondering you know yeah. what's going on you know and and at times you know there's one place in the book i won't mention where but where she makes a decision which actually is the wrong decision um and the reader is probably saying oh no don't do that <laughs> but you know you think about every you know mystery movie or whatever there's often a case where uh, somebody makes a goof you know somebody chooses the wrong door or the wrong exit, and and that sort of then increases the falling down of the plot into uh, a nightmare. Mm. And I think that that's... So the reader is just probably... Right up along with Alex in terms, maybe a little ahead sometimes, of her own suspicions. Mm-hmm. I think she's a little naive at first.
0: Yeah, true, mm-hmm. true. You get, you you know, get she the wants, impression.
1: Yeah. She yeah. wants to have a relationship, yeah. you know, a serious yeah. primary relationship. Yeah. And it really, she's invested into it. And as a result, psychologically, I think she's, she's not always catching stuff that she normally would. Because I think she's a wary individual in most cases, but not in this particular instance.
0: Mm. Yep.
1: Not. And
2: is there in this setting also the danger that because of the amplification of everything that one reads too much into something and then make the wrong decision because of that?
1: Uh, can, you, can you say that again? How do, you, um, how do you mean exactly?
2: When you look very closely at every detail... Is there a possibility to read too much into something mm. and then make the wrong decision?
0: You mean uh, interpret something, yeah. the wrong way, differently than the other person. And accuse made maybe it. someone ah. of something that's yeah. not mm-hmm. there.
1: Well, she questions herself a lot. Like she, she tries to sort of put pull in the reins and say, "No, wait a minute. This is an innocent thing, and I'm overreacting." And of course, the reader is saying, "No, you aren't." <laughs> she's right. Uh, and or you know agreeing that something isn't quite okay Uh and so I, i i think that there is a lot of that sort of feeling between the reader and alex sort of are we doing the right thing here is there anything else we should be thinking about or you know uh is there another explanation for marnie's behavior other than what you suspect are you just being overly suspicious Um, We're not suspicious enough.
0: (laughs) I I also wanted to ask you why you choose first-person narration. I mean, I think it's great because it it brings the reader closer to Alex, of course. But why why choose it anyway?
1: I don't always. uh, Quite a few of my books have been written in third-person. So at this point, I think I wanted to really narrow the viewpoint so you were just getting her take on things. Mm -hmm. And to give a private sort of reaction and feeling that she's having as she's going through it so that the reader feels more intimately tied into her as a character and maybe a little farther away from everybody else. Mm -hmm. Whereas third Mm -hmm. person, I think, tends to flatten the distance between characters just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so the first person just seemed logical to me Mm -hmm. uh, for
0: this book. Is she trustworthy as our narrator? Not completely. <laughs>
1: now, as I say, she's um she's got her own little little tricks up her sleeve and things that she's not revealing, and that that's the other thing. Again, first person is tr- is difficult to handle with that, but I think it was I think I did it pretty well without you know really tipping my hand. Yeah, that she's hiding stuff. Yeah, and and she is hiding stuff, and uh, partly from herself and. Yeah she She can't remember certain things mm. uh, from her past that were traumatic, uh, so you know that's again, and then, as I say, she's sort of double crossing her lover mm. too at the beginning by by being by withholding information mm. uh, and it, it yeah. doesn't really occur to her that that Marnie is withholding from her too, yeah
0: exactly you know, she's, yeah, yeah, she's lying by omission, is it as bad as what Marnie does, or not as bad? I mean, you get a different. Don't get me wrong. I got a different feeling towards Alex throughout the the, the book, when she revealed, "Ah, oh, I do have things I haven't told money and so on." I thought, "Yeah, you are the same." But on the other hand, you you understand her reason why she does it.
1: Exactly, but she's not a perfect character. No, she's no, not no. she's not blameless either. I mean, she's definitely has her secrets. And yes, she should have been open with Marnie at the beginning of the relationship, as one would advise anybody starting a a new love affair would. And on the other hand, Marnie is a little bit quiet about her past life and sort of whitewashed it and didn't really go into as much detail, but it didn't occur to Alex Mm -hmm. that just didn't, you know, until later that she realized she didn't didn't really much about this woman at all. Uh, and then the same could be sort of true of Monty's view on Alex. They really didn't know each other very well. Yeah. Neither one had been honest. So mm. in that way, they're both culpable
0: in, mm. in a sense. Then what is their motivation from your point as, a, as as the writer of the story that they fell into this kind of relationship where they bought the house, where they moved in together rather fast? Unusual for Alex, wouldn't you say?
1: Yes. She had never done this before. Um, she'd always sort of, she'd had lovers before. That wasn't the issue. And she'd had relationships, but nothing really long-term, nothing with a commitment. And as I say, her family being, you know, divorced at a, at a young age uh, when she was young um, didn't give her a sense of how to deal with a relationship like this, but she very much wanted it. And so her her want and her need to have it, um, made her sort of go all forward in it, which maybe she shouldn't have, and maybe she wouldn't have under different circumstances, maybe younger years
2: or whatever. Mm. I think she she wants to trust Moni, and up until the point where she can't push her out away, but she wants to trust her. As I think the reader wants to trust the uh, the main character.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, which is another reason to do the uh, you know first person. I think. Yeah. Because, you know, the first person gives the feeling to the reader. She is talking directly to the reader. Yeah. yeah, And she's confessing what's happening. Mm.
0: It's it's more personal. Yeah, absolutely. No spoilers. But the reveal at the end, it was quite astonishing. (laughs) Who was involved as well? Because I, for example, had it completely wrong. My thoughts were completely wrong. I would be a crap detective. I admit it. <laughs> well done. And you want to find out what's going on. Will she survive? Actually, how how is it going to end? I mean, dear, dear listeners, you want to know how it's going to end. What is What else is there we can find out? You have to read it because I wanted to know what's going on, what's going to happen to our main character, and how will it end, and uh, how will she solve the puzzle? She did it. I mean, <laughs> perfectly. And, I mean, especially at, at the end – the conclusion of everything, and at the very last few pages, you added another. <laughs> oh, I thought. Oh, really? <laughs> Damn! <laughs> didn't see, didn't see that one coming. To be honest.
1: Well, that ending was difficult. And as I said, I rewrote that a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, there was a completely different ending. Well, similar. Um, the location is the same, and a lot of the information was the same, but what happened was a little different. But I realized, you know, I I had another way I could go on it. And so I was much more, I'm I'm much more pleased with the way it came out Mm. now. That was one of the things that had been bothering me all the way through, you know, over the years with this book. And so finally, when
0: I came to and realized how I should end it, then I I felt really comfortable with it. Would you also say that your book could found or should be found in the mainstream psychological thriller shelf? Absolutely.
1: Um, I consider myself a bridge writer Mm -hmm. in the sense that I have written some books like A Bittersweet Tale, The Outcast Oracle, and a few others that have been written for general market and, you know, they don't really have gay characters in them. But then others uh, are more a bridge books that have like Wave and D minor has a, a main character who's not really sure about her sexuality, but there's a lot, there are a lot of gay characters in the book. So I go all over the place, but I don't write for a real audience. And I don't write specifically,
2: mm-hmm.
1: usually for the LGBTQ group. I have a lot of readers in that uh, market, but, and I'm happy to have them but I I tend to write books. I tend to write what the the book that needs to be written and whatever that is, so be it. And Mm -hmm. as a result, and I don't always stick to the same genre. As I said, I, you know, I've got these psychological suspense novels that I really love to write. In fact, the one I'm working on right now is in that category. But uh, as a result, I can definitely go into comedy or Mm -hmm. other areas. Young adult I've written and, I, I have a romance uh, novel that I'm going to be shopping apparently soon. So, you know, I, I tend to write the book that just comes to me. And sometimes it's channeling a main character. Sometimes it's a what if situation like double crossed. Mm-hmm. You know, what if mm-hmm. you met your perfect lover? What would mm-hmm. happen? Or a setting like the first book is set in Venice, which with all of its wonderful entangling Canals and Streets, you know, just seem perfect for, you know, a very, very psychologically complicated book. Yeah. So I, I, I write various, you know, kinds of books. And I, I'm very happy to sell this as a general market book too. Mm.
0: At the beginning of your book, there's a trigger warning because a few topics in this book or one topic in this book is, like you said, teacup. It's quite extraordinary relationship-wise. Mm. I would be interested in the reaction of your readers, what the reaction was, without well, I don't spoiler, like warning. spoilering.
1: I don't like putting warnings in books. I was forced into doing that. Mm. I really think that's silly, frankly. You know, and maybe this is my age rather than anything else, but this seems to be what everybody's doing these days. Publishers, small pu- publishers, lesbian publishers, our LGDPQ publishers in particular seem to be wanting to put warnings on. Mm-hmm. Now, I did I remember one beta reader that I had requested who was very gung-ho reading about the book and then she banged into a topic in the book that upset her so she refused to to finish the book said it was really well written but she just didn't want to go there. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I I feel very mixed about warnings mm-hmm. and I uh, and yeah, there's some some hot button topics in this book, uh, yes, but I think they're treated with more of a, again, a psychological, almost sympathetic, almost on the edge of sympathetic, yeah. Yeah. you know, treatment that yeah. makes it, I think, palatable.
0: Yeah, it does. It it absolutely does. And I can imagine it must have been hard to to write it that way to get to get it right is what I mean, actually.
1: I think if you get into the heads of the people that are the characters, you know, things often make more sense to a character. Mm. And if you get to understand that character's motivations and background, their behavior isn't quite as offensive or as difficult to understand.
0: Yeah. It's like you said, when you Mm -hmm. get into the the character's mind, what makes him or her tick, that's the important part. You start to understand their reasoning for yeah. doing what they do. yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: now yeah, you know, if you have a, a serial murder, say, which is not in this book, but <laughs> if you do, even they will have usually some kind of really traumatic background. Yeah. But they are a lot harder to sympathize or empathize with oh. because of the, the the horrible nature of what they do. Here, yeah, you know, this is not quite as uh, hot, and I think. Uh, I think people will come through this book and sort of understand why things happen as they do.
0: Why is this need? You just you just said about trigger warnings. There is every every small publisher and everyone does it. Why is it? Why is it at the moment that we are forced to put them in there? Because topics like, I don't know, we could, could slap a trigger warning on a book about a serial killer. I mean, people get murdered. No, really. It's a crime fiction story. Why? What, what, what is need?
1: I don't know whether this is an American thing. Um, it might be because we're so agitated in this country about everything, um, and I I think we've just gone too far. And I, I don't think mornings should be in books. Uh, movies I could see because a movie could be watched by a child inadvertently, but they're not so likely to pick up a book and go to, or go to a bookstore or Amazon yeah. and buy a book. I would feel comfortable with a more general publisher who yeah. also happens to cover lesbian yeah. stories
0: mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Just like we mentioned before we came on Mari Yes books, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because I mean she has a general publisher because that's not the main the main theme. Like I said, being a lesbian or describing a lesbian or gay relationship isn't the main thing in your book either. No. It, it's the uh, the thriller thing, the psychological thriller thing, that's the main part, not, not the relationship being gay or lesbian.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that's often what happens in my, in a lot of my novels. It's sort of a, a side issue or, you know, it may,
0: may be a very important part of it, but it's not the yeah. part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, would you also agree that we need more of that? Just having more, what? The, more, more like what, what you write? Just writing a thriller, writing uh, I don't know crime fiction, uh, horror, or whatever, and just gay and lesbian relationships—the not the main part, the subplot, for example.
1: I fully agree. And last year, I was a judge for an LGBTQ book things, and you know, I got mostly mystery novels, and I was pretty horrified at the level of writing to begin with, uh, which wasn't very good, and. The other issue was that, you know, the books just seemed to be swarming with lesbians. I mean, it was like, <laughs> there can't be that many lesbians in this town. I mean, you know, I wanted some balance. I wanted some, you know, how it really would be. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the tendency of this sort of inclusiveness, this tight little community stuff no thanks <laughs> no I, I like to I like to include and, and do it gracefully smoothly and 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 realistically yeah you know not not just I'm not writing for a little group of people mm, you know yeah. Yeah. just read lesbian novels yeah that's why I like Marie Hannah or Val mm. McDermott or uh, yeah. some of these other really great lesbian writers who yeah. are very successful. Like well, Highsmith is another. There, there are quite a few.
0: Yeah, it's one thing to write romance, I'd say, because that's where you expect it. I mean, yes. guilty as judged on this end, because you know it's romance. I mean, we we put on our uh, uh, I don't know pink tinted uh, glasses and uh, go lavidavi all the way, <laughs> yeah, but-, but but not with a mystery.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But it, it's the same with uh, general romance books. I mean, you don't expect them to be realistic. And they are
0: not. So that's, that's true. a special genre, so to speak. Yeah. But you would expect, like you said, you would expect more realism in a mystery, in a thriller, in a crime fiction book. Uh, I never book.
1: thought of that. Interesting idea. Yes, I think you're right.
0: I mean... That's what I would expect as a reader.
1: Yeah, because the relationship is with multiple people in, an, in a large you know in an environment, whereas a romance is mostly between two people, and yeah. then you know yeah. with opposing yeah. forces or whatever yeah. outside of that, but uh, yeah, I think the thrust is different. Yeah, You know, although that's, you know, I think that is changing, particularly I think with gay males and their romances, I think often are they tend to be a little more natural in terms of, you know, the real world, um, although not necessarily a pure romance. I'm thinking of somebody like Rick Reed, who I know, and, um, you know, he, he he writes a nice book, but I do think you're right. I think mysteries are a little different than a
0: lesbian romance. Hmm. I mean, would you say that we can mm, we can trust the general public the audience that they can cope with it or should I they think... be shielded from <laughs> such relationships <laughs> again like, give knows? them a chance yeah give them a chance maybe i think that the world
1: has changed enough that we're pretty pretty calm about i mean you know we've been reading about heterosexual romances and love affairs for how many decades years centuries uh, and we don't think anything about doing that (laughs) Um, you know I think people are getting pretty cool about it I'll I'll give you a little story for one of my books that just came out um, in January Turnabout I went to a local sailing club which are for teenagers okay because Mm -hmm. I wanted to photograph one of the boats because the book is called Turnabout And that's the name of the class boat. And they had one of the few of the particular kind of boat that I wanted. There aren't many left. And so I sat down at the bench while they were all these kids were waiting to go um, sailing. And they were chatting amongst themselves. And these were 10 to 17 year old kids. And one of the girls was saying, well, I might try, you know, lesbian relationship. I think it'd be cool. And then another one said, yeah, me too. And, you know, <laughs> and one of the guys said, well, I, I I, got together with this guy not too long ago. I mean, I'm also dating a girl. They were just so calm about the whole thing. And, you know, this was just a group of maybe 15 kids. <laughs> Nobody thought anything about this, yeah, and they were just not into categories and I thought, well, you know this is a harbinger of what's going what is happening, yeah, and their are their views are gonna affect their parents' views, grandparents' views, et cetera, yeah, and so I think that that I think that people are fine with reading about two women getting together, for example, mm-hmm. a love affair. Yeah. I, I think there I think it's getting there. I mean, sure there's there're going to be some people in our country, my country in particular that may not be so calm about it, but I think, you know, I think the majority of people are, yeah. are moving in that direction.
2: Yeah. You never get 100%.
0: There's always someone against whatever. Yeah, you can't <laughs> please everyone. That's simply not done. I also wanted to ask you about the Supposed advice of write what you know.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I think that that's usually a good idea. I was told that when I was about ten or eleven, and I was writing poems and a story. And actually, I wrote my first novel when I was started it when I was twelve. And a, a writer that my mother knew had you know read some of my work and was really happy about it. And he said he gave me that piece of advice. So I think it's pretty good because you need to feel authentic about what you write about. And even if it's not something you've experienced yourself, if you can figure out how the character ticks, you can get into their head. I've read a lot on psychology. That was a real interest in mine in college. So uh, I feel like that's a natural bent for me. You know, sometimes I have to look up stuff. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I wrote a book about an uh, opera tenor. Who has he gets hired to be a soprano and sing? So he's taking wigs <laughs> on and everything. But I know a lot about opera because I was a subs- subscriber at the Met for thirty years, and I photographed there. And so, I mean, you know, al- al- almost every book of mine, there's something that I, I'm pretty adept at, or either experienced or place I've been. Uh, yeah, in most cases I do write a lot about that. Um, the drama is not necessarily something I experience, but, you know,
0: <laughs> place or,
1: or a person. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. But is it also, would you say, a thing that might hold one or the other author back? Just write what you know with emphasis on just what you know. No,
1: I wouldn't. I, I think that's too restrictive. I think you have to write what comes to you. Mm-hmm. And then if if you're in uncharted areas for yourself in terms of an experience you haven't had, place you've never been, I would tend to say put the place, the setting in some, place, some area that you know, even if you've only been there for a short while on a trip. Because I think that helps you get a visual uh, mm-hmm. grounding of the smells the sights you know all the sensory details that's really important so that that's a good you know write what you know task but i think you have to write the book that comes to you or the person that comes to you i've done some things that are really sort of creepy like channeling where I'll be sitting on my deck or something, minding my own business, and a character will come to me, <laughs> won't go away until I come to the computer and sit down and start to type, and out he or she comes. And I was like, "Oh, I don't know who you are. I've never <laughs> been anybody like you." But okay, you, you know, here you are. So you know that that happens.
0: And mm-hmm. are you? Since you said uh, the character comes along the way and t- tips you on the shoulder, are you a planner? Or are you a pencer?
1: Oh, I am a very organic writer. I tend to occasionally I'll know where I'm gonna get to at the end, but usually uh I like to have it happen as I go along uh because I enjoy the pleasure of finding out for myself <laughs> what's gonna happen. Okay. <laughs> um I'm not a person that does little cards and you know, charts and stuff. I, I do keep timelines just so I don't get myself fouled up. And I do draw, draw sketches of houses inside, layouts, and that sort of thing. But other than that, no.
2: <laughs> and did you ever have to rewrite because of that, because the story changed in a completely different way? Yeah, occasionally. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, Double Cross is a good example of that, where I had to really redo a good bit of the last third of the book because hmm. it didn't reflect well on the main character. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm also wondering if or may I ask if the indie road has ever been in your mind because after what you told us about the experience you had with one of the publishing houses and your book, did it occur to you that you might change change direction and go indie? Do you mean self publishing? Self publishing well, could- indie. In a way. yeah
1: i i use indie as a small publisher but it's becoming you know current to indicate that that's self-publishing which yeah. i think is incorrect but yeah that's what seems to be what everybody's calling them uh yes i have thought about it recently because i've been frustrated with uh you know i'm i, I was a book designer all my career i worked for princeton university press and 20 some other publishers so i i won lots of national awards for book design. I'm a fine arts photographer. Typography matters. Book design matters to me. And let's face it, this is not what's going on in the small press world. I mean, you know, the things that are just, uh, I just consider standard bookmaking are not there. So uh, I I I have one very complicated magical realism project That if I can't find a publisher for, I may I may do that one myself because uh, I really like the book and it's they're two partially linked novellas. So it's a it's sort of a little Orlando esque Mm -hmm. uh, or a little bit like Nightwood, like (laughs) Virginia Barnes. Nightwood has a little of that very strange quality to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if I can't if I can't find a publisher, I may go in that direction. But. I still want the imprint. I think it really solidifies people's view of the book, because when I do readings, I can't tell you how many times people put up a hand and say, did you self-publish this book or was it traditionally published? And if I were to say self-published, I think that would be a negative. Hmm. And I still like to have, even if I'm doing a lot of the work, the editing and the design myself, I'd still like to have the uh, another perspective and have the mm-hmm. imprint of somebody choosing this book.
0: Now I want to know what, in your opinion, does a good design need for a cover mm-hmm. for example. It should
1: be attractive and it should be uh, reflective of of the of the book itself. The typography should be well done. Uh, I do a lot of kerning, which is you know, the letter fit because I do a lot of my own covers. I managed to sweet talk my way into doing them. And as a photographer, not all of my books have my photographs on them. In fact, Double Cross is one of my photographer students uh, who I sent out to to take this picture. (laughs) (laughs) I art directed it. But others, like Once Upon an Island, that, that a lot of them are my designs, not all. The worst one was the first book, Jenny Kid, which I was forced to take this cover, and it has hurt sales horribly. So, yeah, I think it's important. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, sophistication uh, is important. It's just like, you know, ha- it's the first meeting somebody has with the book.
0: The, uh, uh, I have to ask. <laughs> Yes, I simply have to ask you that since we just talked about design and covers, and it has to fit. Since you mentioned before, you you like Marihanna's books, and you've probably you've probably seen the different the different covers for the European version, and the United States version.
1: I haven't, but I bet they're interesting. <laughs> they
0: they are. I the, mean, let's say they're different. They are, they are quite different. I mean, on the on the European versions, you usually have a landscape or. Uh, uh, what was it? The murder wall. I think where you have a wall, you have yeah, a wall think- and landscape, and you only see a woman from behind in a coat. Not very detailed. Not not very detailed at all. Dark and yeah, I didn't you think have, that was a good cover. Yeah, yeah. And then you have the she showed it to us, <laughs> the, the American cover where you have um, you don't that the, the woman from from the waist down. She's wearing a mini skirt, high heels, and a, a gun in her hand. Yes, that's exactly how an English cop would look like. Yes.
1: Yeah, but not like her. It didn't look like her. <laughs> no, I, because, I thought that was just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, and um, I don't know why. That's, you know, that's completely- sometimes authors are stuck. And they really don't have much clout. The bigger the company, I think it's tougher to, to get, get your way or have your opinion expressed.
0: I think and she her. she didn't she didn't have any say in this, in not this regard. the American, I think. not with the American I bet she thing. Didn't. yeah i, bet she I mean didn't. I mean high heels mini skirt and weapon not going to happen in the United Kingdom for a female police officer, but that that's what i mean it it wouldn't ring true with us, you know over here, so it's
1: well if you watch british uh crime films. Most of the detective, female yeah. detectives, are wearing flat shoes or boots or sneakers.
2: type yeah. sensible you, footwear. Yeah, if you're on your feet a long Yeah, time. the British
1: yeah. don't wear heels like <laughs> Americans do. I mean, you know, uh, or other countries. I think it's silly. I, I, I didn't like that cover either.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, that's that's something. I w- that that's something. For example, if I had seen that in uh, on Amazon or in a bookshop, that would have put me off. For example, I would have. Oh, come on. Not again.
2: And, and I don't know what it is, but it seems that at least the publisher think for certain types of books, certain covers are expected. Mm. Uh, I don't know why, because some books you buy, although they have this cover, not because of the cover.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I bought it for. Not, I would have been turned off, but I think too particular, and I, I could be wrong, and maybe I'm making a sexist point of view, but... You know, I think male people that uh, male promotional directors want to have a sexy female quality to the books and the characters on the covers. And that's what they're projecting. And, you know, even if that's completely wrong for the book and the personality of the main character, as it is in this case, Mm -hmm. not that she's not sexy, but she's she's not, you know, heterosexually sexy, Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, I, I think it's really it's really awful when the, when they get pressured into that. As I said, it's happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very frustrating. Now, on the other hand, I've been on the other side of the fence as a book designer for many years. I designed over a thousand books from the inside manuscripts to bindings and, and jackets and very rarely did we have much interface with the authors. These are the nonfiction books, but mm-hmm. I also work with some poets, fairly famous poets. But you know usually I tried to figure out what was what fit, what
0: was comfortable. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. very sensitive, yeah. particularly the poetry books. Mm-hmm. And since you have so many books already under your belt working on number 11 already, what would be your advice for any aspiring author out there? Sit in the
1: chair. <laughs> <laughs> Just do it. I think I, I think uh, there the are really two things. Learn how to use punctuation. Uh, learn how to write. Find your own style and then work on it. Polish constantly. I do anywhere from 25 to 45 rounds on a novel before uh, I let it go to be formatted. Double crossed. I, I think it was probably up up at the high end of that zone. Uh, people get excited and then they send off something too early. And you know, if you can get a decent beta reader or two or three to give you honest feedback, excellent. Mm-hmm. Pay attention
0: mm-hmm.
1: to whatever he or she says. But I think you really need to you need to really clean up your act. Know how to use punctuation. For us, we use uh Chicago Manual of Style everybody should have a copy of that isn't that
0: um, sorry to interrupt isn't that something very american again
1: chicago manual yeah. of
0: style yeah it is the
1: premier um book on style and writing in the united states it's, that most uh, publishers uh, use uh, uh, and, you know, it's still old school enough for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, mean, I, I still use the Oxford comma, and, you know, <laughs> when I'm reading books these days, I, I, it, you know, it's hard to, to turn off my editorial head. <laughs> uh, so I usually am, you know, going crazy with modifiers and, you know, misplaced modifiers and yeah. other issues. Yeah, yeah I think that sitting down and doing it is the main thing. Start maybe with short stories and then work your way up. Yeah. Um, as you go, because you can really develop your style uh-huh. in a in a shorter form, and then just expand it and keep going. Patience,
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> patience, very important.
0: Any advice on point of view problems? If you have a problem with uh, sticking to your point of view, just asking for a friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, because I tend to write either third per- person imit or first person. I stick in the point of view of the, the the character. Now, I have books that alternate characters, so he or she will have a, a, their point of view, but I keep them very separate. It drives me nuts to have this sort of omniscient uh, mm-hmm. point of view where somebody is switching back and forth. I think it's very confusing to the reader. Uh, so I tend to do one or the other, either intimate, third person, or... First, verse. <laughs> I take it you, uh, you you don't agree with me, or you don't like that. <laughs> no,
0: no. I have I have a problem. That's <laughs> that's why I'm doing that. What you just well, mentioned it takes,
1: it takes practice, and sometimes you know, like if you're describing somebody, and you say, "Well, they're suspicious." Well, then, how do you know they're suspicious?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, he
1: or she. Because... You can't just say he's suspicious. He's got to have some kind uh-huh. of behavioral. Uh-huh. Change or yeah. something in his dialogue has to indicate suspicion. So yeah. otherwise, you're just making an assumption, and that that's a point of view issue yeah.
0: that can come up. Because I always, I'm always quite sure because I I, I see it clearly. I think, and the problem but I can't. I think the problem is what is really written on the
2: page yeah. and what is up in your head. <laughs> yeah. Because there is more, and yeah, if there's exactly. something missing on the page, exactly. you really just get confused. <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
1: it's it's very hard to edit your own work. I mean, that's why I have to do it so many times. And I usually try to give myself a couple of weeks yeah. in between, yeah. because otherwise yeah. it's like a big Rolodex in your head. It just, you know, oh, yeah, 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 I read that, I read that, I read it. And you can't really look at it cold to see if yeah. these sentences make sense or if your paragraph, the order's, the order of the lines is correct. Yeah. I mean that's particularly in thoughts so i I mess that up all the time
0: do you do you also read it out loud because one of our guests once said reading it out aloud also helps to find troubles in your in your style or in your plot or in 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 anything at all.
1: I definitely do it for poetry. I do it somewhat, particularly at the ending. Oh. I feel like endings are one of the hardest things to write. Hmm. And I, I liken it to a symphony or something else. It has to feel like, bum, 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 it's done. Hmm. And it, it may just be a question of changing a few words around in the sentence to make that feeling of closure, that, that I um, the reader feels satisfied and knows, yeah, it's over. But that I will read the, hmm. in the beginning. Hmm. I usually read those aloud for sure. Mm. And sometimes dialogue, if I, if I want to sort of see how um, the characters are bouncing off of each other, because sometimes I truncate and, yeah. and abbreviate dialogue too much and it needs expansion.
0: Yeah. yeah. And what else, Laurie, would you like to share with our audience about future plans or anything at all?
1: Well, I'm I'm very excited about my newest book, Once Upon an Island, which um, is set on St. Croix in 1966 uh, when I was there myself. And this is one book that I do actually allow myself some autobiographical Mm. uh, inclusion. So in a sense, this is a for my friends. It's a fact or fiction kind (laughs) of quest out there. But uh, I had read Lord of the Flies by William Golding just Mm -hmm. around that point. And then when I went to the island, I was fascinated with the idea of, again, compression in a sense. It's not a house, but it was definitely an island. Mm -hmm. And I wondered how people, why they moved to islands, how the island mentality changed them. Mm. And so, as I said, I promised to write a book one day, and it just <laughs> took me 56 years to have it in my hand. <laughs> but I'm really pleased. It's my big book, I think. And then, um, so I I would definitely recommend that. And I really love Wave in D Minor, which is uh, literary suspense set in, on the main coast during winter.
0: Mm. So,
1: and it's about an opera composer, a young woman, an mm-hmm. opera
0: composer. So, so another so sort of locked room. Mystery, definitely, definitely. The house is a big player, yeah. And has it, uh, or did you ever think of writing a sort of series with a detective as a main character? Does that appeal to you, or Um, not at all? I, I'm just saying, I
1: I haven't known because I don't feel like I know enough about how they operate. You you think Mm. with the number of books I read, I would, but (laughs) um, no, actually, I haven't. No, I uh I find that they can be a part of my books but mm-hmm. they're not mm-hmm. you the know, main. They can be a subset, mm-hmm. you know, secondary character, but no, yeah. I haven't I haven't tackled that. Yeah. Oh.
0: No. <laughs> yeah, I understand because it takes a lot of getting into a lot of research how to yeah. get it right.
2: That's why some people use yeah. amateur sleuths yeah, to get around
0: it. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, like a journalist for example, yeah. Um, yeah. that's um, I just finished a book where the journalist. Oh, but there was a detective and a journalist, and that, that is sort of a trope you yeah. see quite
0: often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 true. Teacup, up, anything else? No? Did we tackle everything? I think I, so. Yeah, so do I. So, Otherwise, we'll remember too late. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. would be a shame. But not, nothing from me as well. So, Laurie, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's us.
1: been a pleasure. It's, it's such a pleasure,
0: right? It, it was wonderful talking to you. Thank you for your time. And Thank you. It was great. You did enjoy this episode as much as we did. Then hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you like to support us and buy us a coffee, you can do so via Buy Me Coffee and other platforms. You can find all the necessary links in the description. Until next time.